Now is the time and wherever you are is the place. The Citadel makes it easier to earn your degree by offering master's degrees, graduate certificates, and undergraduate degree completion programs that are entirely online. Flexible scheduling makes these programs convenient for working professionals. Online classes are held to the same high standards that consistently name the Citadel the number one master's granting public college in the South. The Citadel. Online. On your time. Visit citadel.edu slash online. <laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. I've tried to be fair to you creatures. Now my patience has reached its end. Tell me or I'll... No, not my gumdrop button. All right, then. Who's hiding them? Okay, I'll tell you. Do you know... Gary. The Muffin Man. Gary Hoffman. Yes. Shannon. Tell me if you've seen her. She always bring the racket like Venus and Serena. Shannon Farron. This is about to get weird. Gary and Shannon. Let's begin this new chapter together. And let's start the work right now. Was it Heathrow last time or was it Gatwick when we had the problem with the drones? It was Gatwick. What the hell's going on over there? I don't know. And they turned out, they said they probably wasn't even drones. Oh, a Gatwick. Or it wasn't private. It, then the second reports were, oh, there's more drones up there. When in fact it was like the police drone that was sent up to try to find the... I don't know. I know you're excited because Natalia Veselnitskaya is back in the news. Uh, I get it. Just I'm telling you, this just adds to me. It adds to my theory that Donald Trump Jr. is so incredibly (laughs) jealous of of, uh, like blind jealousy of Dimples Kushner that he made a really stupid decision. Well, come on now. Natalia Veselnitskaya was never going to be on the right side of the law. I mean, she was dirty <laughs> as hell from go. Yeah. Uh, she got she got busted and she we'll talk about this uh, this case. We have an El Chapo update. We haven't had El Chapo in a while. And who I mean, I guess unfortunately there are many, but who who has a murder room? Like well, when you're the drug cartels, I'm assuming all of them have a murder room. <laughs> and is there? Do you bring in an architect for that? Do you I bring don't know, in somebody but... who specializes in floor drains. You know, you've seen those mafia movies where uh, they, they take a guy to a garage and they lay and down they just tarps, start cutting off stuff. Man, you need some. You need to lighten it up with a. My dad was really big into mafia movies. It's pretty much all I watched my entire childhood. That's... The uh, the hashtag the hashtag boycott Trump primetime is trending. I'm sorry, what is it? The hashtag boycott Trump primetime. It's one of those things that I just I slap my forehead over. If you don't want to watch the president's 
address. You don't want to let. That's fine. Don't. Don't stop it. You, you don't win any sort of moral game or contest by by explaining why it is so morally important that you are not going to. I'm not going to pay attention a word. He says the president is going to argue his case in prime time tonight that we do, in fact, have a crisis at the border, a crisis that will result in a a national emergency, a unilateral move to get that wall slash barrier funded. Now, the Democrats argued that his plea to the American people or his case is going to be. Full of, uh, what did they say? Misinformation, full of malice and misinformation. And we must immediately, as Democrats, be given equal time. And the networks are going to allow the Democrats to have time. Yeah, by the way, uh, that speech is going to be mind-numbing. If it is, if it is in fact, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer who tag team on I don't that know. Democratic I disagree. Response. I disagree. I think it's going to be very aggressive. If he comes out and says it's a national emergency and I'm moving to declare it as such and I'm going to get that wall up uh, expeditiously, I think they're going to come out and not sound like, uh, like warm milk. I think well, it's going to be very aggressive equally. <laughs> I think... This is an interesting uh, question that only the people in the White House know the answer to, at least right now. I don't think the president comes out tonight and says, I am declaring a national emergency. Tonight I will sign this document, whatever it is. I will demand that the Department of Defense um, allocate construction money and start building because it is, in fact, a national emergency. I don't think he does that. I think what he says tonight is he lays out his case of – uh, the humanitarian issues, call it a crisis if you want to, but the issues at the border, because uh, I'll get back to that, the the drug issues, the human trafficking issues and all that, I, that I think is what he says, and then puts a deadline on it and says something like, listen, if we don't have a deal by Monday, next Monday, we don't have a deal by Monday, I'm going to declare this a national emergency and get this done because we can't continue to do this over. We can't continue this government shutdown over this. The, the idea of the crisis, though, and, that, and that's an important word because on the one hand, Republicans have been um, have been shying away from the word crisis up until this government shutdown because they don't want to make it sound like there are health issues, for example. I mean, the whole stories of kids in cages and the separating of the families and this and that, those are all issues that were incredibly important for us to deal with, us as a country to deal with. But we never labeled it as a crisis. Now, the people who are saying that was a crisis, families being separated at the border, kids being taken away from their parents, kids in cages, and now the deaths of two children, they don't want to say that's a crisis anymore because to do that then gives power to the president to declare this a national emergency. And – if his speechwriters are smart, they will use that in the speech tonight. Sure. They'll bring up the kids in cages. They'll bring up the dead kids, and they will spin that to their benefit. Absolutely. And I think it's worthy of a drinking game how many times he says crisis. <laughs> I think he's going to go hard with that. I think he says it at least six times. Um, the issue of whether or not he can declare a national emergency is one. If you heard my uh, my crosstalk with Handel there. He talked with Erwin, Erwin Chimerinsky, longtime constitutional scholar, says this is absolutely impossible. There are plenty, plenty of other people who say that the president can do this uh, based on the National Emergencies Act that was signed by President Ford back in 1976. And the interesting thing about it is that it would be legal 
whether or not there is an actual emergency because the law itself does not actually set criteria for what would count as a national emergency. Many presidents have declared national emergencies. Uh, George W. did it after 9-11. Obama did it during the swine flu outbreak. And they have used that act, which does let presidents issue an emergency declaration, but under certain constraints. Uh, Trump can only use specific powers Congress has already codified by law. And he has to say which powers he's using. Yeah, so I I, I mean, there are lawyers right now huddled figuring out what language to use, how to uh, make this stand up in the courts. Yeah, because like like we said yesterday, he doesn't finish his signature on this document before the court fight begins. I mean, and I, I think the president knows this. Everybody in the White House knows this. But they're willing to go through this fight. We saw this with the travel ban. We saw the president make a declaration and say, I am going to do this. Whether, uh, you know, whether my toe is across the legal line or not, I'm going to do it. And then I'll let the courts tell me where the line exists. And I I think that's what we're going to see in this situation. Um, So the president speaks at 6 o'clock tonight. You hear it live here on KFI. And then the Democrat response comes at some point after that. I don't know how long they're expecting to go and. We haven't heard from the White House how long the president's speech is going to be as well. But all of the networks, all the major networks are going to carry it on TV. We'll, of course, carry it here on the radio. So he does have to use pre-existing laws, right? Uh, I think the most successful one, I mean, there was talk that he could declare a state of immigration emergency, which unlocks an immigration emergency fund. But if he steers clear of that immigration word, if he just sticks to crisis and safety, he could uh, reallocate military spending on this construction project for the wall. Uh, there is a law that allows the defense secretary to direct the Army's civil works program to construct a structure needed for national defense and use the military budget to do it. And I think that's where he would be most successful, and that would be more popular than, than putting the word immigration into it. Well, we'll see how just goes. for Just for Democrats to swallow that thing. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Again, the speech, 6 o'clock tonight. We'll, of course, carry it live. When we uh, come back, we'll tell you that story about Natalia Veselnitskaya. Oh, and your chance at $1,000. That's all coming up next. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Just why don't you just get a thousand dollars from us to pay your bills? KFI has your shot at one thousand dollars now. Text the nationwide keyword change to 200 200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's change to 200 200. Got to make sure you answer that phone, even if it is from a number you don't recognize. Your next chance to win is going to be next hour during our show. About 20 minutes past, you'll have a chance to win $1,000 an hour, as a matter of fact, Monday through Friday from 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call, all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show, right here on KFI. Let's go back in time, shall we? Let's go back to Trump Tower, when Donald Trump Jr. took a meeting with Natalia Veselnitskaya, ah. who apparently got to Trump Tower under the reason of 
her having some some very shady information about Hillary Clinton. You want dirt on bad lady? I have dirt on bad lady. Jared Kushner was also in that meeting for about 90 seconds before he saw that she was a complete crooked bad actor and took off. Now, again, now, so, so the story today is that she's been charged with obstruction of justice in a completely unrelated money laundering case. But... It's a case, and in fact, it's a six-year-old case. They, they filed this a long time ago. Um, she was a lawyer in this case, and one of the things that came out is when they did research into her legal filings, it turns out that there were Kremlin attorneys who were basically writing these legal filings for her using her name. So the assumption being that there was a connection there, that she was very connected to the inner workings at the Kremlin. So that I, I don't think anybody is surprised by that necessarily. And it doesn't mean anything technically, legally, about the meeting that she took, How, that, that June of 2016 meeting with Donald Trump. Jr. However, she was in bed with the Kremlin. Yeah. She was in bed with these phony fraudsters. And it could be proof that the Kremlin, this was one of the ways the Kremlin tried to affect the, the uh, election. And the campaign and by if, sending her in there. Yeah, if nothing else, maybe not to affect the election, but at, at least to get inside information. You know, she was saying that she had information on Hillary Clinton. It makes perfect sense for the Russians to go, hey, you know what? This guy maybe actually has a shot at being president. Let's see if we can get somebody on the inside, at least get some dirt on this guy before he becomes president. Here's the thing it goes back to, like you said before the break. It just shows how dumb Donald Trump Jr. is. <laughs> he was accepting calls from shady Russians who said, hey, we've got some stuff. OK, I'll meet with you. What are you doing? Well, I'll tell, again, this goes back far farther than that, because when we found out that there was something to a Donald Trump candidacy, when he started winning the caucuses, uh, the primaries, when the debate performances were being reviewed as maybe messy, but clearly winning those debates, there was a thought, wait a minute, uh, there is a chance he's going to have to put together a cabinet. So let's start talking about who would work with Donald Trump in the White House. And the name that kept coming up in terms of somebody with some amount of political savvy, some amount of patience... Uh, somebody who's willing to do, you know, less than clean things to get the job done. Jared Kushner's name kept coming up, his, the president's son-in-law. And what what struck me about it was the president referred to, you know, if he was elected president when he was a candidate, he said, if I'm elected president, I'm just going to turn the business over to the kids and let them run this thing. Meanwhile, I'm going to call Jared and have him be my political right-hand man. So Don Jr.'s like, wait a minute, I've, I thought I I thought I was your favorite son. I thought I was the guy who did everything for you. So he starts to get jealous. Yes, I know this is just a theory, but believe me, every time we see a story about this June 2016 meeting, it just adds it just adds fuel to this fire. So Donald Trump is jealous of Jared Kushner, starts trying to figure out a way that he's going to prove his worth to his father, and says. Hey, you know what? Maybe I should start replying to some of these emails from crazy Russian ladies who say they have dirt on dirty lady. You want dirt on bad lady? I've Here, got dirt. Here's the thing, though. She may not have been a complete stranger because in this civil case that she's in trouble with now, she was representing defendants accused of uh, a tax refund uh, fraud scheme. Right. And what was that in relation to? It was in relation to several million dollars worth of property. 
New York real estate. Who controls much of New York real estate for, yeah. for our lifetimes? You mean it's not a... She, you mean Don may have recognized the name? I mean there may be some common factors in her circle and Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, circle, well, or even the president's circle. Uh, because when you're talking about New York real estate, not a lot is done without the knowledge of Donald Trump. Right. Now, the other thing about this meeting, and you mentioned this early on, was that Jared Kushner was in the meeting, as was Paul Manafort, uh, and then a bunch of other people as well. Natalia Veselnitskaya goes to Trump Tower in New York for this sit-down to, I guess, talk about what dirt, at least according to Don Jr., to talk about what dirt she had on Hillary Clinton. And it turned out to not be anything. She made up some weird story just to get into the building, basically, and... Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, smell this thing out quickly. And like you said, the seat wasn't even warm by the time they got up and left and said, you're wasting our time. And then probably shot Don Jr. some pretty dagger-like looks, thinking, you're an idiot. You're, you're blowing yeah. it. Yeah. You're totally, totally blowing it. So, again, she has been charged with obstruction of justice in an unrelated money laundering case. But it does one thing. It shows just how close she was to the Kremlin and how she took advantage of Don Jr. and his desire, I think, to get closer to his dad. Coming up next, a look at CES. Steve Gregory is there. We will find all of the latest coming out of the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. you were curious how I felt about that. Got it. Now you know. Gary and Shannon, Tuesday, January 8th. Big deal tonight. The president has a primetime address scheduled for 6 o'clock tonight, our time. You'll hear it live right here on KFI, talking about uh, the situation at the border and how it precludes the, or how it pertains to the government shutdown. At the top of the hour, Andrew Mullenbeck is going to join us. We're going to be talking about this guy who has now been charged with murder out in Malibu Creek State Park. Uh, talking about this guy and his lifestyle, just sleeping in the park for apparently years. Just a weird, weird story and a weird, weird guy. See that football game last night? I Holy saw a hell. lot of it. I didn't see all of Do it. Do you believe in the whole Drake curse thing? No. So the Drake this. curse is uh, he post pictures uh, or he's he's seen at events and then those teams go on to to not win again yeah. like Kentucky in 2012 he's seen like in the front row of a, a University of Kentucky basketball game they haven't won since then um who else did he rep the Raptors seen in a in Raptor, front row yes. yep. have not won have not gone to the finals um and then a couple months well no maybe a couple weeks ago he posted a picture of himself in a Bama sweatshirt and people are literally blaming him online. You know what I want people to stop doing is talking about Trevor Lawrence's hair. Like, well, come, on. come on. I mean, the, it was three hours of social media people comparing him to, oh, Jennifer Aniston's uh, as having a great game in the national championship. <laughs> it's like, come on. We can do it was better. Unusual we can hair. do better as a country. It was unusual. Yeah, but where has everybody been the whole season? I mean, well, this guy's true. hair I mean, has been out and about. Uh, we uh, This week, 
we're going to get a sneak peek into the future, perhaps. A consumer electronics show is taking place in Vegas, as it does every January. Steve Gregory is uh, going to join us in a few minutes. We're going to talk more about it. Now, the show itself doesn't uh, doesn't open until today. There was a lot of uh, speculation about what we were going to see. Last year, wasn't it uh, stripper robots? I remember Handel talking about that and feeling really uncomfortable. You were uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, Handel he was wasn't not. uncomfortable. Do you think he's ever been uncomfortable? Could, you, could he be made uncomfortable? It's an interesting question. I'm trying to think back of all the times that I have spent with Handel outside of work. Made uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable when we were sitting in the front row behind the dugout uh, at Dodger Stadium. Why? He was uncomfortable. Yeah. Because those guys were really big. Yeah. I think he felt emasculated. Everybody does when they sit in those seats. And he also had a question, what happens if the ball hits? This is long before the nets were up over the dugouts. What happens if they hit the ball at us? Oh, boy. Well, there's a couple thousand people around you that are going to dive for it. So chances are it's not going to hit you in the head. Well, if I need to know about stripper robots, there's one man I go to, and his name is Steve Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) Really strippers of any kind. Well, let me tell you, um, I've kind of upped my game this year, Shannon. Um, It's now virtual reality strippers. Oh, (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Isn't that like the Internet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, except this time it's much more immersive. Ah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you put on your goggles. In fact, I got an invitation. I'm supposed to go this afternoon at 2, an invitation where I basically put on those VR goggles, and it's supposed to be an entire striptease show. I thought you were kidding, Steve. Oh, no, that... (laughs) Will you please stop saying goggles? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But uh, So that's just one of the many highlights of this year's Consumer Electronics Show. (laughs) So tell me about the bigger televisions. (laughs) <laughs> well, which here's here's the funny thing: the size doesn't matter anymore. Here, oh, it's all okay. about clarity. Um, you know, you've gone up to like 95 inch screen televisions, and I was talking to some people yesterday about it. Here, some experts, and they're like, you know, the, the size of the screen they've kind of maxed it out because they've realized that their <laughs> their screens are getting as big, if not bigger, than most people's walls. So they can't really, you know, it's not about that anymore. It's about flexible screens and about curvature screens. But this year they're unveiling an 8K television. Now, the first thing I thought of immediately was that TV anchors across the country are going to be in shock and horror. Because it's bad enough now in 4K because I've talked to some reporters and anchors. They're like, they could see every wrinkle and every flaw on my skin. Now with 8K, I'm like, how much more clearer can you get? So. I don't feel bad for them because all of our wrinkles and everything are always uh, apparent, you know? <laughs> it's time for a TV, beautiful anchors to look realistic, right? Isn't that what they're doing with the models in the magazines? No more airbrushing? Exactly. So now we're going to finally get to see uh, the anchors and the reporters as they were meant to see, or as that they were meant to be, rather. But, um, you know, this year it's all about medical tech. Uh, in, in years past, we've talked about it, and I've told you medical tech's kind of, the big deal here as well but 
what's really interesting is that a lot of the software you're hearing about now, a lot of the connectivity, the wearables, so like you've got devices now that monitor your blood pressure, your heart rate, your diabetes, your, you know, your blood sugar content. But what's different this year is that the FDA is now approving a great many of these softwares and a lot of these gadgets, meaning now that, that these gadgets and software are, are more reliable than they've been in the past. In the past, they were more like prototypes and this is our big wish list and things like that. But they're saying this year, a lot of the stuff coming out, including this electric, electric stimulus gadget that goes on your nose, and it actually stimulates your, your sinuses to relieve sinus pressure so you don't have to take medicine. So that kind of stuff now is receiving FDA approval. That's a big leap from, from years past. How does this thing play out? I mean, just the show itself. Are there different things on different days, or is it just one big thing for four days? You, get, you have that, or it takes that long to get through it. Well, the answer is yes to both. Uh, you know, it does take a long time. It's the world's largest consumer show. I mean, I shouldn't say consumer electronics show, but it's also the world's largest convention. Uh, they've touted that for many years. 188,000 people, I think, are supposed to be here from, from almost every country on the planet. And over this four-day span, you know, the, the thing has gotten so big. And you both have seen the Las Vegas Convention Center, so you know how big that is already. Well, it's gotten so big over the years that they've taken over, like, the Mirage, the Sands uh, Convention Center. They've taken over Mandalay Bay. All of their major ballrooms are all filled with CES booths. So that's how big it's grown. And it's 52 years old this year. Wow. So it, it's around a long time. But really what this is about, it's a couple things. It's about showing what the technology is all about, what the latest advances in technology are. It also is a chance to gauge interest. So if you've got some gadget that you're really excited about, you've put money into, you put it out there, well, the deal is is people that might want to purchase it, retailers, wholesalers, they might come up and start chatting with you about it. But if they show interest in buying something like that or they can see a way of putting it into their stores or online, then they may go to the next step and, and go from prototype to design. So that's really what this show is about. It's not, again, this is not open to the public. This is an, it's an industry insider and media-only event. So this is the place, though, where those gadgets will be decided upon. Those are the things that you might see at Christmas shelves next year. I thought it was interesting that 3D printing seemed to be the big thing everyone was talking about and that th this year that section got a lot smaller because uh, many of these products are produced in China. And they said that part of the reason the 3D printing thing, you're not going to hear as much about that, is because of the current relationship between the U.S. and China. Well, you know, that's an interesting point because that's really kind of the buzz right now. A lot of people are talking about because, you know, China's the largest manufacturer of electronics. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether or not gadgets that you're going to see this year or software that you're going to see this year, is it really going to be available or or wholesalers and retailers interested in buying anything from a China manufacturer? Because for those reasons, as you mentioned, tariffs, uh, future relations. So there's going to be a lot of strain on this. And let me tell you, hundreds of thousands of dollars are going you know, into restaurants and bars and strip clubs here in Vegas because that's where all the big deals are made. So it'll be very interesting to see as a result of all of this kind of what deals and what packages are, are created out after the fact well we want to talk to you again this week are you going to be available for us yeah, to I, i'm going to stay in, i'm going to stay here for a couple of days um i'm <laughs> like i said i really am gonna i'm gonna be trying the virtual strippers because lord right. knows i you know no. can't mm. afford it on my own i'm sorry we're um, getting but... some interference we gotta <laughs> we gotta let you go <laughs> 
And then, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, here's the problem. I, what I'm really worried about is because you've seen, you've seen what happens when people put on those VR goggles and mm-hmm. they start doing weird things because they're reacting to what they're seeing. Yeah. I, I'm going to ask to have every. I'm, 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 I'm going to ask to have my legs and arms strapped down just so I don't do anything that might embarrass myself. And you don't think that wouldn't be embarrassing? Steve Gregory, okay. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks, Always Steve. a pleasure. Guys, we'll talk to you again. Care. Steve Gregory, they're live in Las Vegas uh, for CES 2019. You okay, Monica? Check in with him. Yeah, Monica. You all right? Just, just trying to recover over okay. here. She's wiping her brow for Ugh. some reason. All right, uh, when we come back, <laughs> the update on El Chapo and his murder room, apparently. And don't forget, next hour, another chance for you to win 1000 bucks on The Gary and Shannon Show. This is time to wake up. President's big speech tonight on the border will take place at 6 o'clock. We'll carry it live right here on KFI. Democrats have a rebuttal. We know that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are planning a rebuttal after the president's speech. Uh, the president also is headed down to the border, we believe, in Texas on Thursday. Uh, the story out of Heathrow Airport, the airport itself tweeted just about an hour ago We are responding to a drone sighting at Heathrow, and we're working closely with the Metropolitan Police to prevent any threat to operational safety. We have stopped departures while we investigate. We apologize to passengers for any convenience this may cause. Uh, There are still planes landing at Heathrow, but as of right now... No, they're they're now, yeah, they're being allowed to take off again. Okay. Uh, That was was the tweet from a second ago. If you remember... It was Gatwick, the other uh, one of the other airports there in London that had this same problem last week that they were dealing with. All right, do you have the music ready? Because you know how I need. Do the- I? Okay, I need the music. El Chapo. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do it again? Because you timed I it. Tied yeah. It well, I only yeah. played part of it. Okay. okay. El Chapo. Perfect. Is that better? Yes. Well, we haven't done it in a while, yeah, so sometimes you need two takes. Uh-huh. Well, El Chapo's Sinaloa cartel, uh, of course, the very powerful drug cartel responsible for just brutal violence, beheadings everywhere, like by chainsaw and stuff. This is the cartel that would leave body parts uh, littering the streets. Well, one of El Chapo's hitmen, trusted hitmen, kept a special room for executions called a murder room. Mm-hmm. The murder room featured a drain in the floor to expedite cleanup following messy executions. Now, we're learning about the murder room thanks to a snitch named Edgar Galvin. Number one, don't get involved in a drug cartel. (laughs) Advice from Aunt Shannon. I I bet I know what number two is. Number two. Don't snitch on the cartel. Holy hell. And number three, if you're going to snitch... You've got to get some sort of um, an anonymity. You've got to let them not ever know your name and be put in like a witness protection program under the name Gary Hoffman or something like that. You you cannot let the public <laughs> Way know. to your... blow the cover. Wow. I always knew there Here was a go. dark side. No, and here's the thing. If you're if you're if you like running in the circles of a cartel to the point where you have enough information to be a snitch. I can't imagine what sort of witness protection program you'd be in where you would feel safe unless you went to like Anchorage or or 
uh, Upper Regina, Saskatchewan or something. You, you've got to get away, away. So Not just like out of, I'm going to move to Chicago or something. The murder room was run by a guy named Antonio Marufo, known in the cartel as Jaguar. Mm-hmm. That's a good gang name. He uh, had the, this murder room soundproofed, much like a radio studio. So yep. no noise comes out. So we could actually turn this studio Go on. into a murder room. Okay, there's a couple of things. I'm not an expert. Right. Well, the carpet's an issue. The carpet would be an issue, although um, underneath it, I believe it is just a cement floor. But no drain. There's no drain, and that's the issue, is we'd have to build up the edges a little bit, like maybe six inches around the edges, so that it all drains toward the middle, and then drill in a uh, you know a, a center floor drain there. Well, what the hell is somewhere. Dean Sharp doing here if he's not building us our murder room? And the question is, this is an oddly shaped room. It's not a perfect square, obviously, because right. of that wall well, right he there. Could- so. Figure it out. Well, you could either, I mean, you could make a plastic pan, perhaps, mm. so that it all goes to that one drain, or you just hot mop it. Hot mop? What's hot that? Mop. What's that like? Is that like Come a. Come on, don't make me shop get into back? hot mop. No. No, it's like a steamer. It's like hot rails. No. no. But instead of instead <laughs> of meth, you use a, uh, a tar product. We've gone off the rails yes. a little bit. But this thing is, they said that this house itself, where the murder room was, was in Ciudad Juarez, just across the border from El Paso, I believe. And they're not certain how many people actually died there. This snitch, this uh, this Galvan guy, Edgar Galvan, says he actually laid eyes on this room. He'd been there. He knew that there was soundproof. He saw the drain outlet in the floor. And he said, in that house... No one comes out. One El Chapo. Hmm. Andrew Mullenbeck is going to join us <laughs> when we come back. Get this train back on the uh, on the rails here. This is all about the guy in Malibu who's now been strung up for the murder of that father, the one that was camping with his with his kids. Apparently, he's been stalking Malibu for years. Andrew will have all the latest when we come back to Gary and Shannon. The president will argue his case to the country tonight in a primetime address arguing that the crisis at the border requires that wall that he has long demanded. Of course, getting nowhere with the House and that $5.7 billion funding request. Seems like he doesn't need Congress. He may just declare this a, a crisis, a national emergency crisis, and unilaterally secure that funding. I told you earlier also about uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya. She was the lawyer who was involved with that Donald Trump Jr. meeting at Trump Tower in June of 2016. She has been charged uh, criminally in an unrelated case, charged with obstruction of justice in an indictment that was unsealed today in a federal court in New York. And, uh, and we mentioned this earlier, the Heathrow Airport shutdown in London. It had been shut down because uh, of a drone sighting, similar to what they saw last week near Gatwick. But uh, at this point, they say operations at the airport 
are back up and running. They're trying to get all the planes back to where they should be. Well, it looks like the man who murdered that father in Malibu, the one who was camping with his kids, uh, apparently has been stalking Malibu for years. Andrew Mullenbeck joins us now. This guy's uh, on the hook for a number of shootings, huh? Yeah, the list kept growing. Excuse me. Anthony Rauta, according to prosecutors, lived in Malibu Creek State Park for a couple of years. And they're now saying that over the course of these couple of years, he shot completely at random at campers and cars that were going by. And the break sort of came in October. He was arrested for a string of burglaries. But the question had been whether he was behind the random shootings that had been going on in the area. And then investigators say that this same guy in the summer killed a dad who had been camping with his two young daughters. And then evidence from that fatal shooting linked Rauta to 10 other attempted murders. Now, investigators saying this went back to 2016. So over the course of about two years, he first had a shotgun and then he had a rifle. And for no apparent reason... He is firing indiscriminately at people either driving by in vehicles or people at campsites at a tent. In one case, it was a hammock. And so now they've put all this together. And again, the timeline was from in the fall. He was arrested for burglaries, about five of those. But now the scope is so much bigger that investigators say he is the one who killed the father from Orange County, camping with the two daughters and now linking him to 10 other attempted murders so he was charged his first a court appear uh, his first court appearance was yesterday in van nuys uh there wasn't really much to it he did show up uh, having to be restrained uh he didn't enter a plea the, the arrangement's been pushed back a couple of weeks but now we're getting a much bigger picture of what had been going on for years and really making so many people nervous in malibu creek state park area and also calabasas uh, just not knowing who was behind these burglaries and the shootings completely at random to, to go back to this, though, they're saying that this guy was just living out in the park there? Yeah. Yep. Just living in the park. I guess by definition, he was homeless, but he stayed in the park, they believe, for years. And he would wander over to Calabasas, hit some canyon roads, but he didn't have any formal address at this time, that he was just living in the park from 2016. And those will be the questions. What, if anything, was a motive behind this. He is a parolee. Uh, He has quite a criminal record uh, here in Southern California and other places as well. A lot of those having to do with uh, convictions for illegal weapons possessions in L.A. and Ventura counties. And of course, we know, or at least according to investigators, that he again had weapons over these two years, a shotgun and a rifle. But what would compel him to move to the hills in Malibu and start shooting randomly at people? One, when I say random, Investigators at this point say they don't believe he knew anybody that he shot at. It really was just almost like target practice for him as he's shooting people. And then, of course, it all came to a head when he shoots a young father with uh, very young daughters on a camping trip over the summer. That's uh, an interesting point you make, Andrew, because that really is when it seemed like the pressure was on to find this. But there were so many other shootings like you laid out, and it didn't seem like this was getting any attention. I mean, it's pretty wild to to have somebody firing into cars in Malibu at at these campsites, and then nothing's really done about it. Right, and that was actually even a criticism that came up in the race for sheriff, that this had been going on and that no one had been caught. And 
people in that area would rightfully be just paranoid in some cases that we know about these shootings that people have had vehicles hit at or campsites shot at and nobody knows what's going on. And then it became somewhat more difficult in the fall when someone had been arrested who many believed may well be linked to the shootings, but they didn't have the evidence to arrest him on that. So he, at the time, was just arrested for the burglaries. There were, again, five burglaries, mostly commercial building properties, that sort of thing. Uh, But many still thought, is this the guy? Is this the guy? And then it, it really happened yesterday that prosecutors say, yep, it's him. He's the one who killed the father, and he's the one who shot at 10 other individuals and now attempted murder charges. And that makes this case just so much more significant than uh, what it had been just a couple of days ago when we're talking about a burglary case. Any chance that he's connected to anything else uh, in the area? I know that there were other people that had reported being shot or hearing gunshots that mean things that he may not have been charged with yet. I suppose that's entirely possible. Uh, I, of course, don't have direct knowledge of that, but what took me yesterday was when prosecutors immediately said they had 10 attempted murder charges that they were hitting him with. I don't think I or many others were aware of that, that there were that many that they were directly able to tie him to or at least allege that he was involved in. But it may well be that the the full scope is not in view yet, that there could be other attacks. There could be other burglaries that they suspect him of. Remember, there was some surveillance video that ultimately helped ID him as far as being involved in the burglaries. But as far as shootings, again, we're talking about 11 that prosecutors say that they know about. But if he's there for a two-year period and he's sitting up in the hills with guns, uh, who knows what else he shot at? It could even be shooting up in the air. Um, those, those are certainly going to be questions going forward. Andrew, great stuff. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks, guys. Andrew Mullen back there. The latest, again, this guy's name, Andrew, uh, Anthony. That's a tough one. Anthony Rauta charged yesterday one count of murder, 10 counts of attempted murder. Coming up next, a prominent Democratic donor is answering a lot of questions, I would assume, or not. Maybe his lawyer is answering questions for him uh, because a man's been found dead inside his home for the second time in 18 months. We'll dig into the details when we come back. Also, your chance at $1,000. We'll tell you how you win right after the break. Chris Little coming in here with breaking news. This is a hot take. Hot take. Did Jerry Brown tell you this or was it something else, right? So this is the president's first address from the Oval Office tonight. His primetime push for the wall may be uh, taking some unilateral action, declaring this a national emergency crisis at the border to build that wall. And now we're told that it's going to be eight minutes. It doesn't seem very long. No, it doesn't. But uh, that may be good news. One of the things the president needs to do is stick to the script on this. You know what I kind of like? I kind of like it being eight minutes. How many times have we seen these presidential addresses where they blather on for, <laughs> you know, 25 minutes and they say everything that we needed to know in, I don't know, the eight first, minutes? Yeah, first eight minutes. All right. How about this? Here's $1,000. Here's how you can win it. KFI has your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword COFFEE to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's COFFEE to 200-200. And you got to answer that phone. If you win, they'll call you. It might be from a number you don't recognize. you got another chance to win an hour from now. In fact, once an hour, we're giving away $1,000. Every uh, every 20 past, it looks like, from uh, about 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show here on KFI. 
So there is a rich Democratic donor who lives in West Hollywood by the name of Ed Buck. If that name sounds familiar, that's because there was a 26-year-old man uh, who died from an apparent overdose at Ed Buck's apartment a couple years ago, about a year and a half ago. And there was a lot of outrage because there was talk that Ed Buck was maybe in, in uh Forcing drugs on young men? Yeah. Le- injecting them? He, there was a. There have been a couple of people who have described this guy's uh, proclivities, perhaps. And one of the things that he used to take from the Cheesecake Factory menu was he would, he would get off. He would get some sort of... of um, gratification. Thrill. Gratification. I think we know, what you, we know what you mean. Okay. Just to watching people get high. In their underwear. Well, there's that as well. I mean, I don't know why you'd look watch somebody get high in their not underwear. Anyway, he says um, th- there were a couple of people. One guy actually wrote about this in a diary entry. I honestly don't know what to do. I've become addicted to drugs and the worst one at that. And Ed, Be- Ed Buck is the one to thank. He gave me my first injection of crystal meth. It was very painful. But after all the troubles, I became addicted to the pain and... The fetish slash fantasy. That was Jamel Moore's journal, the kid that ended up dead in the right. apartment. So anyway, there just there wasn't uh, enough to file charges against this guy. They couldn't prove that he had done anything to Jamel Moore, that he had injected him, that he had forced the drugs on him, anything like that. They just couldn't prove it. So charges weren't filed. Well, then came what happened this week over the weekend. There's another body that's turned up in Ed Buck's apartment. This time, it's not a young man. This is uh, a man in his 50s. And Ed Buck's attorney had said that that there were not drugs involved and that these two had been friends for 25 years. It doesn't fit the whole M.O. of Ed Buck running around injecting young kids with, or young men with, with drugs. But we'll see. Uh, it, it doesn't look good. I mean, there were dozens of people out there last night having a, a candlelit vigil calling for his arrest and prosecution in connection with both deaths. The I wonder what is more beneficial, though. I mean, when you talk about the uh, officials ultimately declined to file charges against him in, in Jamel Moore's death because of a lack of evidence, insufficient evidence. There is a chance they they take the guy to trial and they can't prove it. That's what I'm. That's what I, I said. Well, like, I mean, but if, if if they don't think that they can prove it, they're not going to go to trial. Right. So so that you know, even if somebody in the office thinks to themselves, "Oh yeah, this guy's totally on the hook," we just can't prove it. We just don't have the evidence to prove it. That that is a uh, that's a better decision perhaps than taking him to trial and not having a guilty verdict. It's it's. Less of a black eye on the DA's office. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the math that goes into that because it, obviously no law degree. Um, the lawyer for Ed Buck, Seymour Amster, told reporters that the guy that was found dead had been friends with Ed Buck for a very long time, 25 years. And he'd already been partying and already taken some substances before he showed up at the apartment. And that Ed Buck was in the shower for some of the time. And did not take any substances with the victim. Now, here's the thing that they might be able to get him on um, this time around. 
if he was doing drugs and they can prove it with this guy, they could get him on uh, like an implied malice charge because he knew that it was dangerous to do these drugs with people. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, like you said, we're not lawyers here, but he knew what had happened with him before with mm-hmm. Jamel Moore. So he knew that there was danger and that it could result in death. And yet he engaged in this behavior with somebody else again. If you're saying if he was injecting him. Right. But I, there's w- no evidence of that at this point. It's just I mean, the idea. I mean, this this proclivity, if you want to call it that. I mean, these other men that describe this guy, he has them wear these long white underjohns. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like uh, underwear. Like, uh, but like long, long underwear, long johns. Yeah, under johns. I've never heard of before. I wear I mean, under I, johns uh, at all the football games in December. Well, it's cold out there. Them? You got REI. Oh, okay. Well, I just make it. <laughs> what sure do you think? You think I got them from Ed Buck? Well, the twelve hundred <laughs> block of Laurel Avenue. I drove is not over the there. I said, "Hey, to... I need some under johns." Uh, but he he'll put these men in these under john, these long johns, and then hit them up with meth. The more meth they smoke and inject, the more money he gives them, and he would just watch them. Allegedly. Allegedly. I'm saying allegedly. This is the this is what these other men are saying about Ed Buck. I am not saying that. Never met the man. But that's just an odd. Okay. And and listen, the argument from Jamel Moore's family was, well, of course he's not being charged. He is a white, powerful, rich guy with connections to politicians, very high-level politicians like, oh, I don't know, the governor, the mayor. I think that's baloney. I don't think the DA's office would not charge somebody because they were well-connected. No. Look at all the celebrities that has that have been charged in the L.A. County DA's office. Right. But, the, I mean, the look of if you're trying to find a, if you're trying to find something and your kid dies, I mean, that's that, – I well, understand that's the thing. that You're going to look for anything. I, yeah, I get that too. All right, coming up next, uh, the teacher strike seems even more likely today than it was yesterday – we will tell you why when we come back. Gary and Shannon. We've got a lot of terror in the sky stories uh, to get to today. We've got uh, a problem with, with flight attendants and their weight. Apparently, we've got a problem with security lines because of the government shutdown. We've got drones shutting down Heathrow. We're going to have to get to that. Carve something out there. We're about uh, six and a half hours or so away from President Trump's address to the nation from the Oval Office. We found out that it's going to be very quick. Uh, Eight minutes is what the White House has told the networks in terms of the length of tonight's speech. So uh, that, that should be... I mean, that, we'll see if that happens. I, the president is known for going off script, but uh, eight minutes. And then the Democrats are expected a rebuttal, uh, to give a rebuttal. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer had demanded yesterday, as a matter of fact, that they get equal time. So we'll see if they stick to the eight minutes that the president is going to use. Um, you can hear both of those, by the way, later on, right here on KFI, the president's speech coming at 6 o'clock. Well... The uh, United Teachers of L.A. met with L.A. Unified officials again yesterday. They sat down for seven hours. I cannot imagine how mind-numbing that seven hours must have been, but union and district representatives said 
they have still not reached a deal. Nothing should take seven hours. Well, I don't know where I, – I just don't know how this is going to go. The president of the union, Alex Caputo-Pearl, said that the deals offered by LAUSD are still unacceptable. Um, the proposal offered a salary increase for two years, but in exchange, they would cut health care for future employees. Another reason the negotiations fell through, they say, is that class sizes would be increased. And when we talked to Andrew about this yesterday, who's been covering the story, Andrew Mullenbeck, he said that – That was one of the sticking points, Uh, class sizes, that they wanted to contain those numbers as well as hire more staff around campuses. That the uh, that the district had had put across a proposal that did include a salary increase. I believe it was six percent, but it's that class size and the more personnel that they want. Yeah, like nurses, aides, librarians, librarians, things like that. Um, the, this, the negotiations actually are taking a day off today because the union has to go to court to try to prove that they gave the district plenty of time ahead of a strike warning. They have to, they're in court today because the district argued that it wasn't given enough time about plans to strike. And the union is saying, yes, we told you on December 19th. If the court rules in favor, I don't know the details of the specifics of the contract that detail when they have to tell about a potential strike. This reminds me of why I hated covering this crap. All the uh, legal minutia that would go on before these strikes happened. One of the things that uh, that the union is complaining about is that they believe that the superintendent, in this case, the the district superintendent, Austin Butner, wants to privatize the district with charter schools. Yeah, you know why? He doesn't want to have to deal with this BS every six months, every two years, whatever it is. Uh, The superintendent says these failed negotiations were still the result of the union not coming to the table. He says there's a half a billion dollars of district revenue set aside for teachers union, $700 million to reduce class sizes and more counselors, uh, and add more counselors, nurses, and librarians. So he says the notion that we're hoarding reserves, that, that more money exists somewhere else uh, at which to do uh, more to reduce class size at the time is not accurate. We're spending all we have in service of our students. So it looks like the original strike date was for this Thursday, but now there's talk of it being pushed to Monday. Either way, we're talking about 484,000 students at L.A. Unified uh, schools without usual classes. Now, schools will be open, yeah. but uh, if you're a parent, it still leaves up some, some decisions for you. School hours are going to be the same. Uh, morning and after-school programs will run. Meals will be served. And in terms of the normal staff, it looks like there won't nearly be uh, the number that the normal staff usually is to look after the kids. Yeah, if you've got 33,000 teachers and they're out, you do still have a couple thousand people who work for the district who do have teaching credentials who could take over in the classrooms, but that's 2,000. Here's the thing. They said that um, the the adults that will be looking after your kids are the principals and then like cafeteria staff, custodial staff, front office staff, school police, any parent volunteers, and then yeah, the two thousand credentialed administrators. But right, that's 
That's two thousand. Compared to thirty-three thousand, absolutely nothing. That's not so. They're saying saying that they're just going to throw students in in auditoriums to be supervised in large groups and put a video on. Yeah, that's all they're going to do. Yep. I and this and this is one of the. I mean, the tactic is clear. I understand the tactic. I understand what the union is doing. Mm -hmm. Is they want parents to get pissed off and call the district and say you can't let this happen or I can't have you know I can't take time off to watch my kid and I'm sure as hell not putting them in a in a barnyard with 2000 of their closest friends to watch a, a Mary Poppins video. Here's the thing, the the schools if if the kids are pulled out by their parents could lose state funding because the state gives the schools money based on how many kids are in school on a given every given day. And so uh, if attendance plummets, so does the amount of money the school gets from the state. There may be picket lines uh, to cross, so some parents may be reluctant to do that in terms of uh, especially parents who are nervous about being in this country. Right. Not going to want any sort of confrontation there. Well, we'll see where this goes. Today, like you said, today we may decide, uh, the court may decide, to push the strike date back to Monday. But whether it's Thursday, whether it's Monday, I mean, in all honesty, I don't see this coming to an end anytime soon. No negotiations today because of the court activity that they're working on. They say they'll go back to the table on Wednesday, but I don't think either side is very uh, uh, optimistic about getting this thing done before Thursday. Kevin Spacey, back in trouble with the law? Wait a minute. We were just talking about his court appearance yesterday and his floral short. Oh, he said it wasn't his fault. Did I tell you that? No. Yeah. What do you mean? His shirt wasn't his fault? No, 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 not his shirt. The oh. whole thing about groping an 18-year-old said it wasn't his fault. Oh, was it alcohol's fault? Nope. Hmm. Tell you what happened. Because I did kind of stand behind his defense of uh, the other groping allegation when this was, one was from years ago when he was 26 and I think the kid was 16 or mm-hmm. something like that. And he said, well, if what that kid says is true and I behave that way, I'm so sorry. And it was kind of refreshing to hear someone say... Listen, I don't remember. I had too many drinks, and if I did that, absolutely. On, on top of the fact that, it was thirty years ago, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, that was wrong. I just don't remember. Yeah. You know, when people go back, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh's of the world, and they say, "Oh, I remember everything that happened that night in nineteen eighty three. It's like, what, what, you don't. I don't remember last Tuesday. How well, do you remember nineteen eighty three? Anyway, Kevin like Spacey. Beer. Kevin Spacey news. When we come back, we don't play that enough. I know. <laughs> I had one beer. I had one beer. <laughs> All right. Gary and Shannon. It's Tuesday, it's January 8th. Tonight is the night the president is going to address the nation from the Oval Office. Six o'clock tonight. The White House said it's going to be an eight-minute address discussing border security, what they consider the humanitarian and national security crisis along the southern border. We will be carrying that live here on KFI as long, or I mean as well as the Democratic response. Yeah, and then um, we'll also get into this next hour, the story of the drone sighting that shut down air traffic over uh, Heathrow Airport in London today. It has since uh, reopened and they are re- they've resumed operations takeoffs and landings but uh, for some time this morning about an hour they were shut down as they were trying to make sure that no planes ran into a drone if there even was one anyway 
Um, the story of Kevin Spacey, we talked yesterday how he showed up in court in Nantucket and then had uh, everything continued until March 4th. That very uh, brusque accent from the uh, from the court clerk who announced that to everybody yesterday. Yeah, he pleaded not guilty to groping this 18-year-old busboy a couple years ago. This was the first criminal case brought against Kevin Spacey. There was a string of sexual misconduct allegations that sidelined him from Hollywood, took him out of the House of Cards and other projects. It's funny. He, um, I don't know if you saw this story, but he got popped for speeding after the court appearance earlier in the day. He was pulled over for speeding as he was exiting Washington's Reagan National Airport and given a warning. Well, his defense attorney, Alan Jackson, was in the car and argued on his behalf. Did he really? Yes, I heard this. Wouldn't that be nice to have a lawyer on your behalf sitting in the passenger seat while you're getting pulled over for a speeding ticket? Or arrested for drinking a a cider outside of Dodger Stadium. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, So Kevin Spacey responded to these allegations in a court motion that was filed yesterday. And the the story was that he had groped this 18-year-old kid, right? In the court filing, Kevin Spacey claims that the teenager told him, told Kevin Spacey, that he was a 23-year-old student studying business at Wake Forest University. And the reason that he was even talking to Kevin Spacey in the first place was the younger guy found a buddy to introduce him to the actor. Goes on to state that this teenager didn't say no when Kevin Spacey said, can I buy you a drink? Sure. He let Kevin Spacey, again, this is according to Kevin Spacey's lawyer, the way it, uh, in the court motion, let Kevin Spacey put his arm around him near the piano while they did sing-alongs and even left the bar to hang out, have a smoke out in the uh, out in the parking lot. Combined with the fact, according to the court motion, combined with the fact that this teenager, again, apparently telling everybody he was 23, but he's really 18, that he gave Kevin Spacey his phone number, suggested, quote, mutual and consensual flirting. Now, at no point in this motion... Does Kevin Spacey deny groping the guy? Well, no. This is the recipe for groping. Can I buy you a drink? Let's go have a cigarette. Let's be flirty. I mean, that is where that's, that, those are the foundations of groping. Are they not? The motion states that once Kevin Spacey began to grope his accuser, the teenager, quote, did not object to the alleged touching. He did not ask Spacey to stop. And he did not remove himself mm-hmm. from the situation. Mm-hmm. All things that Alan Jackson should should know does not exonerate Kevin Spacey. Just because the kid didn't move or didn't stop him or didn't slap away the hand or punch him in the face, that doesn't mean that that was a wanted touching. I don't know about that. Well, I'm just saying, in, I, in, I in just... terms of legally, you and I might look at that and go, come on, seriously, if you didn't like it, then get up and leave. Right. But that's not what... We're not talking about the court of Gary and Shannon, thank God. Well, we should. We should have our own court of law. Uh, in the initial filing, remember, the kid said the reason he didn't leave, the reason he didn't ask him to stop, the reason he didn't remove himself from the situation was because he froze. And by the way, the accuser in this case said one of the pr- one of the physical signs that he was not enjoying the touching 
was that his little friend never stood at attention. Well, that doesn't always happen. I know! So... That's why I'm saying, like, in the court of Gary and Shannon... Like, how many times do men makes- go get massages where there's groping, right? But there's no... Uh, <sighs> I'm just saying, you can touch someone and... What am I saying? No, I think you're saying... I Keep going. Okay. You can touch someone... You can someone, touch a man right. without that happening... It doesn't mean that the man is not turned on, right? I don't know. I don't. You don't know how it works? I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, I love this show. (laughs) That makes one of us. Uh... Mm. Hey! Now it's noted, by the way, it's noted by Alan Jackson in this defense that they believe that that um, that the complainant in this case, who ended up being an 18-year-old kid and not 23, like he was supposedly telling everybody, that the complainant actually was joking about the incident with his friends for several months yeah. after the incident, and that in fact, if you remember, the reason that we knew about this in the first place was the kids. I keep saying kid, but just in terms of the teenager's mom was the one who came forward with the allegation and that the mom was the driving force between yeah. getting this thing I think that's exactly place. it. And, you know, your kid's running around saying he's 23 when he's 18. He's at, at bars with older men drinking and smoking and all of that, and you want somebody to blame for it. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but what Don't... a great story of getting groped by Kevin Spacey. Is it a great story? I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. It sounds like he was into that kind of thing. The kid, you mean, yeah. the teenager. Well, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. it would be a funny story if I'm at a bar in Philadelphia and right. Kevin Spacey rolls up yes. and wants to buy me a drink and, like, puts his hand on my shoulder and but gets a little huggy. rewind. Yeah. Kevin Spacey pulls up to you at a bar in Philadelphia and That's says, enough of a story anyway. Okay, that's a story. Yeah. But approaches you yeah. and then asks you if you want a drink. Yeah. You know what he wants. Well, yes, yes. Now, okay, I think I see where you're going with this. Yes. I would say yes to that. I would say, hey, what's up? You're Kevin Spacey. And he'd say, yes, I am. Can I buy you a drink? And I'd go, sure. Because I know from that point forward, anything that I do or he says or we is is a great story. Now, I'm not going to let him get all touchy and grabby. Well, how are you going to lay down that line? Yeah, we don't know after, how many drinks he's buying you. After he's bought you a drink. Now, you know you don't owe him anything for buying you a drink, right? You know that lesson. Yes, I do. Okay, good. And I watch the bartender make the drink or I order a beer from a bottle. You wouldn't be flirty texting him. You wouldn't do any of that. No. You wouldn't go out in the alley with a smoke with him. I don't smoke. Right. Yeah. But what if he said, uh, I'm going to go have a smoke. You want to come keep me company? Would you go? No. No. Right. Because you draw that line. Right. Plus, I don't want to leave you and Oscar there alone. Right. You never know what's going what's gonna to happen to you guys. Do you think that if Kevin Spacey ended up walking into that bar that night, you would not have ended up on the pole? <laughs> not, not head ended. Like if Kevin Spacey was there and you guys were chatting and smoking. Yeah, because I don't you... want him telling stories about right. me. Right. I mean, I'd rather tell stories about him. I don't want him telling stories You wouldn't about want me. him to go on a 50,000-watt station and say Gary Hoffman was on a pole at a gay bar in Philadelphia. Well, some of that is true. I just don't tell you which part. Gary and Shannon will continue with what's happening, what's trending right after this. 
said, oh, come on, love, we'll be just fine. We're gonna live just like it's 1999. Gary and Shannon. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk more about the big primetime address scheduled for this evening. President Trump is going to speak for about eight minutes, according to the White House, on immigration, the humanitarian and national security crisis that the White House describes at the border. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, the Democratic response. And you'll hear both of those tonight starting at six o'clock here on KFI. Uh, a lot more to tell you about, though. Time for What's Happening. Well, it looks like a drone or drones once again screwed up flight operations in London, this time at Heathrow, the busiest hub in the U.K. Last time we told you about this, it was Gatwick. But today at Heathrow, flights, departures briefly suspended after a drone was sighted there. Near or within the airport, we're told. And they say it was a precautionary suspension of departure flights. But it was uh, all systems go less than an hour later. Uh, This happened at Gatwick last week, but they never really came to a conclusion about what it was. In fact, there was question whether the Gatwick incident was, in fact, a drone. But it did still cause massive delays in and around Britain, Great Britain, uh, Ireland, Scotland, and through most of Northern Europe as well. Good news for Sears today. Sears looks like it will stay in business, striking an 11th hour deal. It has accepted a revised bid from a hedge fund controlled by Eddie Lampert, the chairman and former CEO of, of Sears. The deal would keep 425 of the stores open. I don't know why <laughs> Well, or how long. They're saying that this technically doesn't complete the, the sale, but it does start an auction that would be completed sometime, I believe that would be next week. Uh, yeah, next week. So it is still possible that whoever it is that wants to shut down Sears still wins this. You're going to have to have a couple cocktails before you bid on this auction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they said that they could bid more for the assets than Lampert is offering, and in that case they would then – uh, close it down and sell it off, but uh, but we'll see. In Tennessee, the governor there has granted clemency to a woman serving a life sentence for murder who says she was a victim of sex trafficking. 30-year-old Sintoya Brown was sentenced to life in prison for killing a man when she was 16. Interesting. You don't see a lot of uh, Republican governors doing this. this. But she, when she was 16 years old, she now admits that she killed a guy, like you said, who had picked her up for, she was, I guess, hooking. And he picks her up, and she eventually kills this guy. But as a juvenile, a life sentence on her would have required to serve at least 51 years before even being eligible for parole. And even the, the Republican governor said that is too harsh. Um, a lot of this this name, this case specifically, got attention because of the criminal justice reform push that we had seen recently, was involved with the new legislation that was passed and signed by the president not too long ago. Kim Kardashian, uh, Rihanna, a bunch of these people threw their support behind Centoya Brown in terms of getting her released from prison. Yeah, this is uh, interesting details. Uh, It was 2004 that 
this 43-year-old real estate agent, Johnny Allen, picked her up at a drive-in in Nashville, and she shoots him in the back of the head at close range with a loaded gun that she brought with the intent to rob him. Mm-hmm. And her lawyers argued that, yes, she was a victim of sex trafficking who not only feared for her life but lacked the mental state to be culpable because she was impaired by her mother's alcohol use while she was in the womb. That's fascinating. There was a Supreme Court ruling against life without parole for juveniles. But the state of Tennessee says, no, no, we we didn't give her a life sentence, without parole at least. We gave her a life sentence and said she'd be eligible for parole in 51 years, which is why she wasn't – why the the sentence wasn't already commuted. Who loves blooming onions and that sauce? Raise your hand. You don't? Oh, God, I hate those. Oh, I used to love those. I haven't had one for – a long time, 15 years or so. You're hungry. Why don't you eat one right now? I am a little hungry. (laughs) I gave that away. Well, a woman in Florida has been served with multiple battery charges because she attacked her parents because they wouldn't take her to Outback Steakhouse. She's. I mean, the the craving for that thing. How old is this woman? 28. Well, Blake's almost 28, and he lives with his parents. Trust me, Pam and John would smack him down if he said, I want to go to... I want to go to Outback Steakhouse. I want a blue onion. I don't think they would. I think they would take him. Uh, not if he got all mouthy about it. Blake, if you wanted a bloomin' onion from Outback, would Pam and John take you? No. Yeah, so oh. They'd probably say, well, if you want one, you can go on down and get one. There you go. <laughs> Apparently, the daughter armed herself with a knife. Uh I think this is a mental health situation. You don't I don't think, think so, this huh? has anything to do with It wasn't even a good knife. It was a 12-inch decorative knife from the kitchen. A decorative yes. knife. Which I assume just means it's it's a piece of metal shaped like a knife. Maybe it's one that you hang on the wall, like one of those giant spoon-fork combos that you throw up on the wall every once in a while. Do you, though? Do you throw those up on the I wall? Don't, I don't have one. Anyway, she said, I'm, I'm going to effing kill you as she was chasing Dad. Joshua Tree National Park is going to close because of damage and is likely going to stay closed as long as the government is shut down. No rangers on hand, so visitors have been creating new roads by driving off the pavement, A-holes, and defacing the park's namesake Joshua Trees, double A-holes. So they are just saying they're going to close the whole thing down and uh, not allow anybody in. And then my favorite story of the last 24 hours... Cops are on the lookout for a man who spent some time licking doorbells. <laughs> why, why would he do that? It's my favorite story of the day. Not, Yeah, me too. Not only uh, did he spend some serious time licking a family's doorbell, he then relieved himself in their yard and stole an extension cord. Serious question. Yes. If you are licking a doorbell, mm-hmm. isn't there a chance to get electrocuted? Isn't that? Well. Are we applying logic is, to okay, this? Okay, there's two <laughs> things. Number one, you, you would have to lick that thing really hard Say to get for like the plastic. three hours? No, I don't even no. think that would do it. But there is a low voltage wire that is in there. Three hours of, of licking a doorbell. <laughs> I mean, two an average woman, if we were thinking about that outside of this case, no. great, good for him. Wow. But you, I can't. <laughs> I'm only going to change the subject for two reasons. 
Number one, my favorite commercial on the air right now is the Allstate Mayhem commercial where the guy looks through the video doorbell. Hey, who are you? Oh, hey, Jeff, I'm a car thief. What? I'm here to steal your car because, well, that's my job. What? 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 <laughs> what? What? Oh, I love it. I love that commercial. I the have actor's not name, seen that commercial. Trivia, the actor's name, Dean Winters. The other trivia, his brother Scott William Winters was the guy. The guy what? The guy in, uh, oh, I just said not this paying morning. this off very well. No, I know. I, I'm pausing because I just remember. Hey, I'll help you, though, but I did Goodwill see Hunting, that. Goodwill Hunting, sorry. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. You can find Goodwill Monica Hunting. on Twitter at Monica Ricks. <laughs> no, do not find Twitter. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. That mayhem guy is in a... John Wick 2 or Wick 2. Or We're giving away $1,000 when we come back. Maybe. Monica, what's up? No! <laughs> oh. Gary and Shannon. We have $1,000 we're giving away. Here's how you can win it. KFI has your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword TAB to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's TAB to 200-200. Got to answer that phone. If you win, they'll call you. Might be a number you don't recognize, but you got to answer it if you're going to win that 1000 bucks. You got another chance one more time in this show, and then all the way through the John and Ken show, through the first hour of the Conway show, starting back up at 5 in the morning, we're giving away $1,000 an hour here on KFI. Speaking of the president, he will be making an address tonight to the nation to make his case for border wall funding. A lot of talk about him de- describing it as a national uh, security emergency crisis. Emergency crisis, that's that's good. That's I bet he lot. says that. That seems dangerous. But he says that. I think I've got the over-under on six times he says crisis. It's an eight-minute speech. We will have it live, and then we're also going to carry the Democratic response because they ran to all the networks and said, if you're going to run the president's case here, you're going to have to run what we want to say because he is going to – it's going to be full of misinformation and malice, they said. So networks are going to be carrying both sides tonight. Um, It's time for an update on the Terror in the Skies file. Flight 209, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. Another reason it's tough to be a woman in Pakistan. What? Pakistan International Airlines has allegedly instructed obese employees of its cabin crew to lose weight in the first months of 2019 or risk losing their jobs. There was a news agency that published a memo detailing that management for the airline has decided to gradually reduce waiver of 30 pounds excess weight to zero pounds in the upcoming months for the cabin crew. <laughs> Does it say how much you uh, you need to weigh? No. Hmm. Hmm. It doesn't give the actual number, though. Interesting. I wonder if it's well, like uh, the old sorority stories of they take each woman and then they circle her problem areas and say, <gasps> make this go away. What? You didn't know that? No. 
Yeah, with a Sharpie. Yeah. Or, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, you're going to put on your underwear. All right. You know what? I'm sick there. I'm tired of guys being the ones who are a-holes in this. Oh, no. Women are far bigger yeah. a-holes to each other than men. And they're grosser. To women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're grosser? Yeah. yeah. How can that be? Dirty, messy. Have you seen the women's bathroom just down the hall? There's well, a sign I, that says, no. don't pee on uh, the floor. This, this Wait, may hold surprise on. you, Monica. Like, <laughs> I have not been into the women's restroom. Hold on here. Yes. I think that there's a woman dealing with something here because I have seen the puddles of pee on the floor. And then I saw the sign that went up that said, please don't pee on the floor. And listen, and if you're a lady, on the sign. if you're a lady who ends up like peeing on the floor of your workplace bathroom, that's a bad day, right? That's a bad day. And if it happens twice, it's another bad day. It's becoming a problem. And I feel for that person. And I hmm. felt badly when I saw the sign go up because she already feels bad. She's clearly dealing with something. Hmm. You know, maybe she's having a baby or something and she's got leaky bladder and she oh. can't make it. Doesn't that happen? <laughs> I mean, I have I no know. idea. I don't know, but it yeah. sounds I plausible. I thought you were going to tell me that like, you were going to come forward and say, Absolutely and not. I have been dealing with some yeah. issues. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. And the puddles are mine. Um, yeah, so <laughs> they're going to be grounded. They have the end of this month. I think we should be kinder and gentler to each other around here in 2019. You know, I think I struck a chord. I didn't. You? When people <laughs> pee on the floor, I don't think we should call them on it. Uh, oh, here. Uh, I guess it still doesn't say the, the desired weight. If any crew above 30 pounds from the desired weight, but it doesn't say what the desired weight would be. What do you think it should be? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I was just trying to get you into trouble. Oh, I know. <laughs> I do. The, like we have a ba- we have a scale in my bathroom. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. I don't know yeah, where else every, you would do it. Yeah. That's, you could keep the scale in the bathroom. Most people do. And I, when when I hear someone else stepping on the scale, no matter who it is, I run the other way. Because I don't want to even glance at whatever number that is because there's no good knowledge that comes from knowing that number. Whether it's my daughter, my wife, my son, my dog will trip on it every once in a while. I do not want to know that number. It just doesn't matter. So don't. That was I see beautiful. what you're doing. I see what you're doing. That was beautiful. No, I see what you did though. You tried to trap me on. I that. did, and, and I apologize. You know what it sounded like? It sounded like somebody stepping on the scale, and I and I turned and I ran the other <laughs> <Yes>. way. <laughs> Do uh, you weigh yourself every day? No, that'd be that'd be no. Because it's not an accurate enough scale. Like it fluctuates by a good two or three pounds. Probably some days it's wildly other. inaccurate. Isn't some it? days it's just broken, <laughs> and I say, "Who's that?" And I look. Who's stepping on it behind me? (laughs) All right, coming up next, we've got Swamp Watch. Plenty to get to. We've got uh, Veselnitskaya news. Yeah, Natalia. There's dirt on the bad lady. We've got uh, all the details about the primetime address coming up tonight. And where do we stand on reopening the government? Is there movement on either side here? Gary Channel will continue in just a moment. Attorneys for L.A. Unified and the union representing the district's teachers are in court today. Last minute maneuvering before a strike that's set to begin Thursday, taking, what, 30,000 teachers out of the schools and leaving the kids under the care of principals and custodial staff and things like that. We talked earlier about it, about how the plan is probably just going to 
be to put kids in an auditorium, throw on a video, and uh, keep them there. But not a lot of learning is going to go on. No. And there's a chance there could be some safety issues as well. So parents are going to be dealing with the brunt of all of this. The thing the teachers want is controllable class size. They don't want those numbers to go up. They want them to go down in some situations. And they wanted more personnel and, you know, librarians and the like. And the district said that the union rejected a proposal yesterday that would have added nearly a thousand teachers, counselors, nurses, and librarians. So the, it seems like that class size is that sticking point. We also talked with Andrew Molenbeek in the 11 o'clock hour, the more details about this Anthony Rauda guy who appeared in court yesterday, one count of murder, 10 counts of attempted murder. This is a guy that was apparently living in and around Malibu Creek State Park and was accused in the shooting death of that 34, or sorry, 35-year-old chemist from Irvine, Tristan Baudet. He had been out camping in uh, June with his daughters. They were two and four years old, and he was killed while sleeping in the tent. This guy's on the hook for, uh, for quite a few crimes. All right, it's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. This is going to be a busy, busy couple of hours. We're about five and a half hours away from the president's speech uh, to the nation today from the Oval Office. His first as president, uh, where the White House makes a very pleasant and honest request from networks for some time. Um, They will be carving out eight minutes of prime time tonight. I'm sure more on either side of that to deal with analysis and then the Democratic response as well. But the White House said the president's going to take about eight minutes and outline his border security issues in um, in these eight minutes. He's going to call this a crisis, a national security crisis that would enable him to act unilaterally and say, screw you, Congress, and secure funding on his own for this five point seven billion dollar wall. Expect to hear the Democrats words used against them. Kids in cages, dead kids at the border, because that all plays into the the narrative of a crisis there. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. I mean, the use of the term crisis, humanitarian crisis that you've you're talking about how bad conditions are there along the border and Democrats up until this point had been saying we've got to do something. You can't put uh, you can't put, for example, military members on the border because that creates a crisis. And when the president comes out today and says this is a crisis, they're going to say it's not a really a crisis. We're talking about different crises here. He is going to be able to do this act unilaterally because of the National Emergencies Act of 1976. We saw George W. use this after 9-11. We saw Barack Obama use it after the swine flu outbreak. It allows presidents to issue an emergency declaration under certain constraints. So the constraints, by the way, are that Trump can only use specific powers Congress has already codified by law. There are two possibilities for for this path. Number one, he could declare a state of immigration emergency, which unlocks an immigration emergency fund. Now, that's generally supposed to be used to help states feed and house migrants and process their claims. I think he stays away from that because that's kind of what the Democrats would like, right? Uh, The other thing that I think might be more successful 
is he would be able to, under the laws that Congress has set, reallocate military spending on construction projects for the wall. Uh, There is a law that allows the defense secretary, after a national emergency declaration, to direct the Army's civil works program to construct a structure needed for national defense. And it has the military budget to do it. Yeah, I know that they've got construction money there. I'm... I don't think the president does this today in, in terms of declaring a national emergency and then uses that sort of uh, direct executive order to get this thing done. I don't, I don't think that happens today. But I do think what the president says today is a very clear and hopefully it's a concise message because he can he can really gum those up pretty well. Once he goes off script, he can screw up the message. If he stays on script for eight minutes and lays this out, I think what he's going to do is say, I have the power to do it. I believe I have the power to do it, and I will give Democrats until Monday or whatever he says. But I think he's going to set a deadline tonight to say we can't continue to have this government shut down if we don't have a deal, if Democrats can't, can't come to the table by Monday and, and give me something in terms of funding for this, I'll go and do it on my own. I think that's what he's going to say tonight. Now, the Democrats, like we said— had already claimed that they would uh, have – they demanded a chance to respond. They put out a statement last night jointly that said, now that TV networks have decided to air the president's address, which if his past statements or any indication will be full of malice and misinformation, Democrats must immediately be given equal airtime, they wrote. And the networks are like, whatever, fine. Okay, yeah. So they're going to show those as well. Mike Pence made the rounds this morning and was answering questions about this. He was on the Today Show specifically about this uh, potential use of a national emergency to get a border wall. The president is speaking tonight in a primetime address. Is he going to declare a national emergency? Is that your expectation? What I expect the president will do tonight is explain to the American people that we have a humanitarian and security crisis at our southern border. See, he didn't answer the question, but I again, that that leads me to my conclusion. This isn't going to come from the president tonight. It's going to be more of a deadline to say I still hold this, pardon the pun, Trump card if I need to use it. Do you think that Mike Pence knows what the president is going to do tonight? Yeah, I think he's in on it. I mean, I, 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 I think that Mike Pence is one of those guys who um, is in just about every single meeting. That doesn't mean he knows everything, but I do think he knows what's going on. Senate Democrats uh, are discussing blocking all legislation that doesn't reopen the government. Why are we doing this? Because they want the government reopened. No, but well, Nancy Pelosi had said that she was going to do individual bills to reopen specific Agencies, right. like the right? Treasury Department, so everyone gets right. their tax refund and all of that. TSA or uh, Homeland Security, so the TSA can get back to work. Um, but this, since the de- since we've gone through today, since the government shutdown lasted until today, people will not be getting their regular paychecks on Friday as they were expecting. So this is really, truly now going to start seeing some of these people be affected, especially those government workers who legitimately live paycheck to paycheck, and they're going to skip theirs on Friday. Did you hear uh, Ted Cruz's idea on uh, how to pay for the border wall? (laughs) He wants El Chapo to pay for it. El Chapo, the Sinaloa drug cartel El Chapo? Yes. Uh, I don't believe that that's going to happen. Does Does he have that much money? 
Does El Chapo have five and a half billion dollars? El Chapo has more money than God. Oh. Okay. Is Ted Cruz going to hold him upside down and, like, let the change roll out of his pocket or hey, something? Hey, Ted Cruz is uh, is is looking a lot better with that beard covering up half his face. Don't you think? He does look tougher, if that's what you're going for, I suppose. He does look like he was out there for a guy's weekend and just forgot to... Uh, Forgot to shave for a couple days. Out there for a guy's weekend? Yeah. Is that where you guys just let yourselves go? Yeah, you don't shave on Thursday. Maybe let it grow out on Friday. I bet Andrew Mullenbeck would shave. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. But like Ancarlo, if Ancarlo oh. was out for a guy's weekend. Oh, man. He would he would grunt and then grow a beard. Oh, he'd, go, he'd go like this. And then psh, the right. beard would appear. He could live off the land, I think. And Carla? Doesn't he seem like that guy? He's eating trees. Like you could take him and leave him in a forest for like a year. Yeah. And it would be fine. And he'd come back and the only question would be, is Carson Wentz still the quarterback? That'd be his only question. <laughs> um. All right. When we come back. Don't, by the way, say that, that Nick Foles is good for the Eagles to I, Ann Carlo. That, no. That, I made that mistake. That would drive him to the forest. I for made a year. that mistake. Natalia Veselnitskaya, that Russian lawyer who met with Don Jr. at Trump Tower, she has now been charged with obstruction of justice. We'll talk about that and what that case has to do, if anything, with Robert Mueller. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon. Uh, there have been a lot of headlines these last few days about R. Kelly, the singer. I think maybe uh, before the, uh, uh, after the top of the hour, I mean, we'll get into the story about the Fulton County District Attorney's Office down in Georgia now says they have opened an investigation into allegations that were made against the singer in this new uh, documentary series that's out there called Surviving R. Kelly. But a series of sexual assaults and sex with underage women. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Natalia Veselnitskaya. This name rings a bell because she is the Russian lawyer who was in that private meeting with Donald Trump Jr. when she said she had dirt on Hillary Clinton and, and, and she's brought in and and uh, Jared Kushner leaves the meeting when he realizes that there was no there there. But it was the focal point of was there collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. You Aaron, want dirt on bad lady? I have dirt on bad lady. Aaron Katursky joins us now with all the details on uh, Natalia, who has been charged in an unrelated case. She has. This case is um, an asset forfeiture case that involved a Russian businessman and a Russian investment firm. And they were accused of defrauding Russian taxpayers of more than $200 million and tried to launder at least some of the proceeds by buying New York City real estate. Uh, and and Veselnitskaya ended up representing uh, some of the parties involved. And according to federal prosecutors here, she was at the same time um, the the working secretly 
with a senior Russian prosecutor uh, to, to try and, and get these guys off the hook back in Russia uh, and never disclose that to, uh, to, to American investigators. So they've charged her with obstruction of justice. Not that she's ever going to face that charge in this case, uh, because she's believed to be in Russia. She is not in American custody. Uh, how did they come up with that connection? How did they connect her to this uh, high-level Russian prosecutor? Well, they they, um, they figured it out because she had made representations to them in um, – uh, in, in court. And then once they read what was prepared by the Russians, it, it, it's, it, they put two and two together. And they realized that she was working with this senior Russian prosecutor and was actually the author of what was supposed to be an independent report on the case. So, um, you know, that forms the basis of the obstruction charge. And the um, uh, the interesting part is I think that, that, that secret work with the senior Russian prosecutor uh, establishes Veselitskaya as someone who has some contact with, uh, with, with the Kremlin and with, uh, with, with you know, higher-level Russian officials. And that was right around the time when she had that now infamous meeting at, at Trump Tower. The two cases are not related, uh, but this one did seem to sort of firm up the, the, the suspicion that she had been in touch with the Kremlin while she was making overtures to the Trump campaign. In touch with the Kremlin and with these high-level officials, uh, representing them or pretending to represent them in New York City real estate deals. Uh, when I hear New York City real estate, uh, one family comes to mind. So it seems like there might be another connection there, possibly. No, there, it's not believed that the real estate transactions involved uh, Trump, necessarily. But um, he's connected to all the guys that, that make these big deals. Well, by I mean, the some could argue, work. yeah. But I don't, I, I don't think there's a connection uh, in, in this particular case. Um, but I, you know, I, I think she has certainly now been revealed to to be more than just uh, uh, an innocent lawyer who wanted to talk about adoption cases uh, when she went to meet with Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort and others associated with the campaign. Um, and, and I think knowing her connections to, um, even if it's just this one senior Russian prosecutor, you know, why is someone who works for a senior Russian prosecutor reaching out to a, to, to an American political campaign? I forgot that that was the cover for the meeting, uh, the, the adoption mm -hmm. story. It just sounded so, so <laughs> dirty from go. Uh, uh, so it, 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 it is a reminder um, uh, that, you know, who she is and, and, and who she was and, you know, whether she ever faces the charge of obstruction, um, you know, I think it seems kind of kind of doubtful. But, it, you know, it, it, it does kind of bring it all up anew. Yeah. Aaron, thank you. We appreciate it. Okay. Aaron Katursky there with the latest on this. Uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya, I think these new the, charges. I think the, the, re, the way she got into that office is because she was connected to the guys doing these real estate deals for the Kremlin. And, yeah, I, and, I, I, and, I, and I understand what Aaron's saying. There's no connection between these deals and the Trump family. But New York real estate is a tiny little baby pond. Yeah, and the na if nothing else, it it's, could be likely that Don Jr. sees the name and says, hey, wait a minute. Right. She represented that guy from because that of guy that case. And and, that, exactly. Yeah. And then again, back to the theory that Don Jr. was just trying to get into good graces with his dad, who was already apparently showing favoritism towards Jared Kushner because of his political prowess. Anyway.
When we come back, do you want to do this R. Kelly thing? Because I think it's Let's a do it. Okay, we'll do R. Kelly story. It looks like Fulton County District Attorney's Office down in Georgia has opened an investigation into this case, much to the uh, to the cheering of many people who say that they were victims of R. Kelly. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Black holes, solid ground, black holes, solid ground, a thousand voices reasons for not telling me things no for not having kids oh there's that uh six o'clock tonight is when the uh, president is going to speak from the oval office he's going to be talking about border security and government shutdown we've been told by the white house that this is only expected to be about eight minutes and then democrats specifically House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer are going to give a Democratic response uh, soon after the president speaks. We'll carry both of those live right here on KFI. So Lifetime has put out a six-episode documentary called Surviving R. Kelly. And it's about decades of sexual abuse that R. Kelly has perpetrated against black girls and women. And one of the narratives is that everyone ignored it because they were black girls and women and everyone loved his music. These women uh, are had done extensive interviews with Lifetime and, and the interviews are featured in this documentary. Most of these women were underage when they first met R. Kelly Uh, There's Andrea Lee, his ex-wife. There's Lizette Martinez, a high school student whom he met at a mall. Lisa Van Allen is the youngest girl at a music video shoot he was at. And then Hironda Pace, who was 15 when she met him at his child pornography trial. Let me repeat that. Go ahead. Hironda Pace, who was 15 when she met R. Kelly at his child pornography trial. There is a... Now, I haven't seen this this six-part series on Lifetime yet, but having read some of the descriptions of what's included in it, and we've talked about the stories before. In fact, last I think it was last year, early in the year, we talked about the BuzzFeed article that came out that detailed a bunch of these allegations against R. Kelly, and they are ruthless. I mean, just describing this guy, alleging that he was grooming these girls from a very, very young age. They say he was a man who was sweet and charming. They adored him. He promised to help them in their careers. But then he flipped the switch and he would isolate them. He would punish them. He would require them to ask permission to eat and use the bathroom told them not to make eye contact or speak with anyone else. He beat them, sexually debased them, videotaped the process. When you look at, and then the question is, in the context of what we saw last year, where 2018 became a year of outing predators like this or predators that were accused of doing these same types of things and basically scrubbing them of their ability to exist in society safely 
why isn't R. Kelly subjected to this same amount of scrutiny? Why is and I know that there are people who have called for radio stations, for they're example, to not play his music. Yeah, they're saying it's because it's black girls. Well, and and the guy, this uh, Jim DeRogatis, I think is how you say his name. He is the guy who was one of the main investigators on this, journalistically speaking, not not legally. He was not um, not a cop, but he received a fax. Just to give you an idea of how long ago this was. He received a fax from someone in the year 2000 that R. Kelly was doing this to young women. And well, in Chicago, he called the sex crimes and, you know, the main sex crimes investigator who was working in the uh, police department there and said, hey, uh, I- I'm calling about some questions. There have been some allegations made against R. Kelly. And that sex investigator says, yeah, it's about time somebody finally calls on this and we get some publicity on it and then hangs up and can't give because she can't give the guy any information. He's just calling out of the blue. The interviews in this documentary are cut with commentary from colleagues, associates, family members, uh, music industry insiders, people who have worked with him. And it it provides a chronological narration that follows him from childhood to the present over the time. It shows that he was professionalizing this abuse operation. He was moving from casing girls outside his old high school to bringing them on stage at his concerts to passing off his number uh, and to keeping girls prisoner at his house. Now, a couple of the people interviewed are directly complicit in Kelly's operation. There is an assistant who would go with Kelly to find girls at malls. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Harvey Weinstein, right? The honeypot. Um, there is an anonymous employee who works at Kelly's house who was interviewed. And then there's his older brother, who is the only person interviewed in this documentary, who outspokenly wonders, what's the problem? What's the problem with this behavior? Well, it's one thing. No, I'm not. There's, you were going to no, say no, it's well, one thing to like younger girls. It's another thing to keep them prisoner. It's even right. I mean, it is. <laughs> it's even one thing to say if you're a rich and famous person. To hire somebody to go out and find you a companion. I mean, as as weird and, and odd as that may sound, I'm sure that happens all the time. But the idea that you would then instruct someone to break the law, you find me somebody who's barely into high school because that's the kind of girl that I'm looking for or something like that. There are issues. One of the things that we've said about the Harvey Weinstein case out of New York is that there are some witness issues. Some of the women that have accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual um, assaults in some cases, sexual inappropriateness in others, are also on record with emails communicating with him in a very playful and non-threatened manner. There are similar cases with R. Kelly, where some of the women who have accused him of some of these just egregious things are seen, say, at his concert front row at a concert or palling around with him on some vacation spot after they say these horrific crimes were committed against them. So, again, as I said earlier, it's that doesn't mean that the crime didn't occur, but it does it makes it make more it hard. Difficult. Yeah. And the news this afternoon is that he is being criminally investigated in Georgia all because of this lifetime docuseries. Uh, sources connected to the case told TMZ that the Fulton County DA's office has opened an investigation into allegations made 
about R. Kelly in the documentary. Uh, I wanted to throw this in there only because it, it kind of answers the question we, we ask at the beginning of this is why has R. Kelly been given a pass for so long? And this Jim DeRogatis guy who wrote about this for BuzzFeed and has been working as uh, on this as a journalist from Chicago for some time. If you remember, you said that that one woman met him at his child pornography trial. Yeah. He was accused of taping himself having sex with a 14-year-old girl and doing other stuff. But. Yeah. Well, that's one of the allegations. He chronicles all of this. Okay, but why wasn't he then – why did, why was he never accused? Why was he not charged? Or no, why was he never charged with having rape? sex with a minor yeah, or statutory know. rape? And it was because this guy kind of says this was an example of what what allowed him to get away with this is the victims didn't want to come forward. In this case, they had this girl's um, friends, uh, coaches, pastor who all said, yeah, that's the girl. that that We know her. We know she's underage. But she and the family did not want to cooperate with the investigation. So technically, the cops didn't have a victim in this case who would have been able to provide important evidence to get that uh, statutory rape charge. That happens quite a lot, unfortunately. All right, coming up next, an Uber driver decides to kill a bunch of people in between fares. It is your worst nightmare when we come back to Gary Gary and Shannon. Oh, we got $1,000 we're going to be giving away as well on the other side. This must be love. Shannon. How about this? We got a thousand bucks we're giving away. Here's how you can win it. KFI has your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword talk to 200 200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's talk to 200 200. If you win, they'll give you a call, but you got to answer the phone to pick up that $1,000. Your next chance to win will come up at 2.20 next hour with the John and Ken Show. In fact, a chance to win $1,000 comes up once an hour, Monday through Friday, from 5 in the morning through 6.20 at night right here on KFI. I have developed a pretty strong, healthy fear of Uber drivers. <laughs> Just not knowing what the hell's going on with that person. You don't know that person, and then you're getting in the car with them, their personal car. You don't know what went on in that car. You don't know what kind of mental state this person is, what's going on in their life, when they're when they're likely to just snap and go nuts and drive you off to a forest and leave you there for a year like Chris and Carlo. You don't know where the previous passenger ended up. Good Lord, you don't know what the previous passenger did in that seat. You don't know, Gary. <laughs> when you're in Baltimore and you get into an Uber car mm-hmm. and you say, take me to Phillips seafood and then the uber driver says no i'm not taking you there because that place is too touristy i'm going to take you to a real locals place you've got no control even though you've organized it with other people you're going to meet there at the restaurant you have a no, seven o'clock no. reservation no i didn't oh, i didn't okay. it was just going to be me which oh, made it worse it's even worse so because le- then nobody knows where you're going legitimate story i get into an uber and i'm like Phillips, I, I put it in, or no, it was a lift, I think. So I put it in, the ending date, F- Phillips. And so I get in, and he's like, where are you going? I was like, Phillips Seafood. He's like, no, you're not. And at that moment, I'm thinking, yeah. where the hell am I going? This is a strange city. This is the first time I've been out in the daylight because we had, we had landed the night before. I, don't, I have no uh, spatial recognition of where I am, where I'm headed in relation to the hotel I just left from when he says, no, you're not. 
He goes, I'm taking you to a local's place. It's called Moe's. It's called My House. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, oh, holy hell. Uh, anyway, Moe's ended up having incredible crab cakes. It was about five blocks from Philip Seafood. But it was an odd situation because you don't know whose car you're getting into. You don't know that person. Like this guy. This guy, Jason Dalton, was driving around Kalamazoo, Michigan a couple years ago. And he started killing a bunch of people. He shot uh, eight people. Yeah, Six I, of them died. I remember this story. He said the devil was controlling him through the Uber app. Now, part of what frustrates me about this story is that this guy has known about this for years. I mean, he told this story from the beginning, that the devil was talking to him through the app. How many Uber and, drivers are, are, I think, the devil's in the app? Uh, I don't know. Does the devil like the crab cakes at Moe's better? He told the county judge yesterday, I've wanted to do this for quite a while. And he then pleaded guilty to six counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder. He'll be in life. Uh, he'll be li- in prison for life. Um, after the shooting spree, he said that the, the app turned him into Satan's puppet and chose his victims for him. And that this devil figure made him do it by sending messages through the app. A couple months later, if you remember when we were covering the story, he went crazy in the courtroom in Kalamazoo. And he started ranting about black bags. Whatever the hell that meant, um, and they had to get dragged out of the uh, dragged out of the courtroom as a bunch of these witnesses were there, and they started crying. A month after the shooting spree, when the devil started sending him messages through the app, he wrote a handwritten lawsuit suing Uber uh, for ten million dollars over a hostile workplace environment. I. In the complaint, again, handwritten, we don't know what kind of writing utensil he used, but we can bet it was probably not a very sharp pen. All caps. I am currently <laughs> I am currently in prison because of Uber, and I never got a Christmas vo- bonus, and I was never invited to the corporate parties. All true things that he said in his complaint against Uber. Wow. You just don't know. That was fantastic. The other thing that I loved from over the uh, over the weekend was Melvin Gordon got into an Uber, not the same one that you had, obviously, but yeah, he started talking to the Uber driver about the upcoming. I'm assuming the the conversation was something like this: "Hey, are you in town for something? Yeah, I'm in town for work, I'm, or I'm in town for the football game." No, he. I don't think he said that. So it's it's Melvin Gordon, a star running back for the Chargers, of course, and he's in this Uber in Baltimore. And they're talking about the game. And he says, you know, so what do you think the Ravens are going to go to the Super Bowl? And the guy says, hell yes, I do. And he said, and Melvin says, what do you think about the Chargers? And the whole time he's looking into the camera smiling, like, watch this. (laughs) And the the, the Chargers like, no, they they can't keep Phil Rivers off the ground. And Melvin's like, what do you think of that young running back they got? He's pretty good, huh? And It was uh, very funny. It was great. And then he he says... uh, Something to the effect of the Uber driver says he's actually a Dallas fan. Mm-hmm. And Melvin's like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Why are you talking the Ravens up then? What's going on with that? He's like, well, I'm driving a, an Uber around Baltimore. I have to talk that crazy talk. <laughs> uh, side note, Chris Carlo has tweeted us. Number one, I've never been left in the forest by an Uber driver for a year. He must have missed our oddly, earlier. Oddly um, specific. Well, Chris, 
earlier in the show, we were talking about how you're the kind of guy who could live off the land and that we could leave you in a for- we could take you to a forest and leave you there for a year and you'd be fine. He says Phillips is touristy. He hopes you tip that Uber driver. And number three, you shouldn't fear Uber drivers. You should just fear Maryland drivers. There you go. I actually would like to say that the Uber drivers in Maryland were better than the Uber drivers in Philadelphia. Whoa. Because that guy was wearing a, uh, was it a Sproles jersey? What was it? Oh, you mean our guy from two years ago? The guy that that I angered. I still have that recording. Don't pull that up. Okay, let's go to break. Gary and Shannon. Neil Saavedra, we come back and do a park report. Gary and Shannon. Now, President Trump hosted cable and broadcast TV news representatives at an off-the-record lunch. Tonight, he's set to deliver a primetime speech outlining what he sees as a crisis on the southern border. Let's see, who was at the lunch? We've got Chris Cuomo from CNN, Brett Baer from Fox, and George Stephanopoulos from ABC. Lasted about an hour and 20 minutes. Kellyanne Conway says the group had a, quoting here, robust exchange. No, they didn't. I saw Brett Baer's breakdown of it. It's all off the record, so none of the reporters are going to talk about what the president and vice president told them about. In fact, he said, all I can tell you is we had Caesar salad and iced tea. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, I guess they're giving them a bunch of background stuff, et cetera. But uh, that that um, that. Statement tonight from the White House is expected at 6 o'clock. We'll carry it live here on KFI. Democrats have demanded and have apparently gotten a uh, a rebuttal time, so we'll also carry that live. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are expected to uh, to carry that or to provide that rebuttal in a joint statement. Hey, Morgan. Hey, Shannon. What do you call a pastry that is a priest? Oh, uh, I don't know this one. A holy donut. Let me teach you how to eat. Starting that year off right. The donut has a hole in it. No. So I go to this website for these great food jokes. These what food jokes? Mediocre okay. food jokes. Yeah. And there's different uh, categories like bagel jokes, barbecue jokes, beef jokes, burrito jokes. Today, for the first time, I clicked on cucumber jokes. Don't click on cucumber jokes. (laughs) Do not do that. Well done. That's our first. uh... Wow, Monica Ricks is going straight to the cucumber jokes. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote them, Neil. Good. Yeah. Is there a doorbell section in the Sheesh. cucumber joke? Not yet. Okay, there will be. Three hours. Ding Neil, dong. Neil Saavedra, host of uh, host of the Fork Report, you hear Saturdays here on KFI. Oh God, I can't believe you just tainted. Ding dong. We, we, oh, wow. <laughs> what? We come. I went outside uh, for a walk. We get to talk <laughs> to Neil on Tuesdays about cool food stuff. Uh, let's talk about since we're at the beginning of the year. Let's talk about uh, trends we can expect in the next uh, of the, the all of the 2019. It's difficult to 
to guess. You know what we should do is right? we, should, we should replay last year's trends of 2018. I've actually had a pretty good run on knowing or guessing, rather, uh, what a, what out of the trends are really going to become something. Because there's uh, fads and there's trends. Right. And I will say your Fruit Loop shoes didn't go very far. No, but or, i got to tell you. roll-up shoes. That's what it was. i got to tell you, it's because people don't walk in L.A. So that's not uh, on me. Got it. Okay. It's not on me. But there is a, a lot of these trends, and some of them, they have micro trends. They have uh, – one of the ones that I like the best is uh, Pinterest because they're looking at – and Google does this as well. They're looking at what people are searching or what they're posting. And so you can see an actual ebb and flow of interest, and those interests are going to tie into to certain trends. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with uh, Pinterest. Homemade jam. Now, this one's been going on for a while. As a matter of fact, a lot of restaurants um, and chefs have been doing this because they want ownership on all of their flavors. So they're creating these things, and uh, and and it's becoming uh, quite popular. There's a, a line at um, in Fullerton, at Reckless in Fullerton, a chef buddy of mine, uh, Chef Cody Stortz, does these killer – and I think they're actually called That's My Jam – Pretty oh, funny, I like right? it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but right up there he, with the cucumbers. Yeah, he's got a, a bunch of different flavors. But this this has been something that's kind of been brewing for a little bit. But people are now bringing it into their homes and creating these things as well. Uh, there is a place uh, up near where I live, a, a, known for their breakfasts and lunches, and they make they make their homemade jellies. But they do um, offshoots. It's not just a blackberry jelly. It's like blackberry and Earl Grey tea, or it's a strawberry with bacon fat. In it or bacon flavoring, I guess you could say in it. But so the, it's a very strange combination, and they outside tend to work, of a huh? jam, but they work fantastically. Yeah, I love that. And, and you, when you get those combinations, you go, hey, "This is not something that maybe has a mass appeal, mm-hmm. but it had a regional appeal, or it might be something that they can put uh, uh, use as a spread on a sandwich or something like that 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 becomes regional or, or flavor." So I think I think that's a, a big one and something that you'll see more of. I'm a big fan of uh, the the two uh, polar opposite trends that Pinterest says are going to be happening in 2019. The pagan diet, yeah. partly part paleo, part vegan, and then the rise of bread baking. <laughs> bread baking has been – there was an article in the New York Times some years ago that did a need-free dough, uh, bread. And it's a really wonderful uh, recipe – because of the science behind it that ends up kneading is the process of actually lining up and, and I, you can turn off the radio if you have an issue with this gluten. I don't want to freak anybody out, but I, I gotta, I'm going to use the G word. I'm going to have to leave early. Yeah. So uh, lining up the gluten, the proteins, and, and when you line them up, that's what you, you were doing, your dad was doing, your mom was doing when she was kneading. That you're, you're folding it over, stretching the gluten, lining them up. And that makes um, that wonderful, chewy, airy, doughy bread. Well, um, th- this article in the New York Times some years ago started a lot because a lot of people don't like that process. I happen to, but a lot of people don't like it. So this need uh, this needless bread, uh, need-free bread, started becoming very popular and kind of pushed what is now becoming – a look at artisan breads, sourdough breads, having starters, anything where people can wrap their head around, hey, look, I've I got this starter, this 100-year-old starter, which is kind of a myth because it, it's like um, 
walking into a, a river and saying, this is the same water I walked into 20 years ago. No, that water has long passed. The starter has been used. It's not the same starter. Anywho, uh, there is a lot of interest in these types of things. And, and once you bake bread at your house, you will not want it anywhere else. It is just, it is one of the best smells is ever. Is it better than San Francisco sourdough? Mm. Well, you can do sourdoughs in your it's home. Not you can the same. do it. Well, it's because it, <laughs> someone else did it. Yeah, going down. <laughs> no, to the, it's because you're doing it in San Francisco with the true. with the the water. Yeah, there water is something and about the fog yeah, and all and, of that. It, I I think I was so spoiled growing up eating at those Italian places where you get the loaf of, of of freaking sourdough bread and it is so good. And then every other place you live, it's like the what's wrong with the bread here? What's wrong with the bread? Yeah, well, it's Philly's never. got issues with that too. With the Cheesesteak sandwiches, they all say, ah, oh, it's the bread. But, you know, you you go to uh, some places, uh, you know, Philly's Best and stuff out here, they're, they're matching that bread. Yeah. Sorry, people. They're when we come back, we'll talk more about these trends. And there was one specifically on this list that I was witness to last night that I think has changed the way we and my family will approach family dinners from now on. So it was a very interesting, different way for us to look at how the table is set up. It's just, it, it, and it was mind-blowing. Couldn't stop commenting. Who Gary. did it? A uh, friend, neighbor, okay. down, you know, family friend. That's all. Okay. I'm not going to tell you until we get back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. A reminder, the uh, president's speech tonight at 6 o'clock, talking about border security, the potential for declaring a national emergency. That'll come up at 6 o'clock. We'll carry it live. And also, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer are expected to give a response after that speech that we will also carry live. And John and Ken are giving away $1,000. Well, not John and Ken, but we are giving away $1,000 during the John and Ken show. That's a better way to put it. Wouldn't that be cool if it was really their money? Yes. Like, (laughs) they just were giving out money. Yes. Have you met John and Ken? Like how, what? That's like uh, that's like burger money for John yeah. during the right. week. Neil Savedra, host of the Fork Report, has joined us. We're talking about some uh, some food trends potentially for 2019. Pinterest had a, a, a good list of them. Grazing table is what I was going to talk about. Yeah, so we super were, popular. Right we now. were at a friend's house for dinner, and it was set up in a way that was different than anything I'd ever seen. I've seen big dinners, and there were I think maybe 11 or 12 of us at the table, but. Everything was on the table. Everything. Everything you could imagine from from the beginning appetizers, the little crudite, all the way up to the main, you know, lamb and chicken wings and every everything was on the table. Drinks, various drinks were on the table placed in clusters of sodas with a beer and then a bottle of wine over here and another cluster over there and another cluster over there. And the best part was they were on different levels. What? I mean, just, I mean just, a, just a platter that just stood above the other plate, and you uh, put a bigger plate on that. And then in the middle was a giant thing that would hold a big salad bowl. So it was in the middle of the, everything you that's needed. That's the way to do it if you're going to have people over and it's yeah, casual because, and more than eight or whatever. And nobody has to leave the table yeah. to get seconds, or I have to go do this, or I have to. It was all right there, and you you could sit there for and two hours. And it's inviting. I mean, Very it's gorgeous. It's the, the only thing with them is you have to maintain them. So you have to it, as as people start to take things away, you have to reset them. Otherwise, they look, you know, not so great. Yeah, but I think there's a there's a 
30 minutes in. There is a sense of accomplishment, maybe, when an hour into it, you go, you know what? We've made a real dent into this yeah. stack of food <laughs> yeah, that was in front of us. Yeah. It's like a game. Yeah. I think they're gorgeous, and I think the first thing is that they they tantalize you with your visuals. Yes. They go, you know, look at all the different things you can choose from. And I think you you eat better when you're choosing going i can see everything that's why you should always do a lap or two at a, a buffet before you start because people start just piling <laughs> stuff on and then they go oh, i don't really want that compared to the thing that's that's at the end when you can see all the food you can make better decisions that's my as favorite to what you're going to do thing about tapas places is you can see them all lined up oh. and 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 you know, you just get a taste of everything. And you're not in it for any one flavor. Like, right. if you really like something, you all have a second one of that. But you're not like, oh, then you're looking at your friend's plate or something going, I wish I would have ordered that. Rarely can I commit to a, an entree these days. It's like, I want a little bit of that. I want a little bit of that. I want a little bit of that. You know? Otherwise, I feel like I get bored. Yeah. I have uh, my wife, Tracy, um, order something. I order something. Then I eat them both. <laughs> that's just, how you just, solve that yeah, problem. That's how we do it. <laughs> I wouldn't it, say you guys should do it, but uh, that's how we do it. Is it of of these lists that we've seen any trend that you think is just total cock poppycock? Well, word is well, Monica. Yeah, potty mouth. Um, there. No, I think they're. I think they're all pretty good. I think the factory automation stuff the, for the quick service restaurant is a little more fad e than it is a trend still. Uh, and that means robots making your food. Um, oh. I, I, I don't think that's going to become the, the mainstream thing anytime real soon. No. It's on its way, though. John, my dear. Yes, hi. Hello. Hello. What's new? <clears throat> How do you mean that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's coming up on the show today oh, okay. is All fine, right. I guess. I uh, do you uh, remember the guy yesterday who started yelling while Gavin Newsom was getting sworn in? Yes. That was he us. Yelling. Was, his, was it his three-year-old kid? That or was all of California. Yeah. No, no, it was, like, it was a guy in the, in the audience. He was going, I object, I object. Yes, yeah. Well, we've got that guy coming on right after the news. Oh, oh awesome. <laughs> yes. Did you uh, hear the wife's part? Oh, about the first partner thing? Uh, no, 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 where she did her speech? No, freaking poem. No, you didn't oh hear that. Oh my God! This Let's is get Ray on the yeah, line. Yeah, seriously, oh, you're going to want to miss out on that uh, yesterday. I do not have know. to have it. It was a California Barbie in her all white suit, oh, and her long blonde hair, and <laughs> she's a negative two and a zero. Is that a size? Yeah, Wait, and no. <laughs> and she starts a... doing a Spanglish poem. Half oh. of it English, half of it Spanish, and the way she's speaking, it's like she's making love to the poem. Oh, wow. And she put oh, another no. syllable in several words, including corn. It was insane. <laughs> to make it rhyme? I don't know. I don't know. You have to hear it. It's oh my gold. god! Oh, yeah. this couple is going to be insufferable. It's going to be great. Oh yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to go find that. Yes. First, thank you. Partner. The first partner. <laughs> Jeez. All right, John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to... Gary and Shannon. And then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views premium seats in all rows, and connected tech while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy nonstop routes to summer.
because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to $3,500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, $3,500 on 2020 Rogue consists of $3,000 cash back and $500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 7-6-2020.